this. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Starting verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time. Bless this Bible study. Strengthen us, encourage us, refresh us tonight by your Spirit through the Word. In your name we pray. Amen. And you might say, how are we going to get a study out of just that little bit? All right, we'll try. We're going to give it a shot. So the saints in Colossae, if you were here in the opening uh, week, um, we opened the study and I gave you all the background. The saints there in uh, the church that has been established, they've seen a transformation. Some had come from centuries of pagan practices, worship of deities that were actually demonic, and of course all these deities are demonic in nature. Others were focused squarely on financial wealth and success. Not unlike many people today, right? So that would be many people's God, many people's focus. Others were steeped in Judaism, the law, keeping the law, trying to earn favor from God through tradition and works. And we know that won't work. But a singular message of truth about Jesus, of the salvation that he purchased and secured with his own blood, had changed and transformed lives of the men and women, Colossae, that believed on the finished work of Christ and the peace and the salvation that he offered. And here, Paul in his opening address, after this giving of thanks for the work of faith that God has brought about, he reminds and he itemizes the work of the Spirit and the ministry that has taken root there in Colossae. Now twice in verses 5 through 8, Paul mentions the word truth. For it is truth that has set them free from empty religion, empty pursuits, empty lives, and empty promises. And it is truth that they have now begun to walk in and build their lives on. Are you building your lives on truth? Both individually and as a church family. So not just a single person, but the whole church had been building on this truth. Now you'll recall from our final study in Ephesians, remember in chapter 6, that as Paul describes the armor of God, what does he start with? Girded about with the belt of what? Truth. Without truth, there's no starting point of genuine faith. Amen? I mean, if you read some of the quotes of some of the despots that have come down through time, they all try and eliminate truth. These reminders are important, for we can easily forget or take for granted the very foundations of our salvation and our new life in Christ. If you're taking notes tonight, you see the title, Transformed by Truth. And we'll just look at three things, truth presented, received, and cultivated. The first thing we want to look at is this truth that's presented. 
truth presented. He says, because of the hope which is laid up for you, which you heard before the word of truth and the gospel. The believers in Colossae, they had hope. It's an eternal hope. It's the same hope we have. The same hope they had is what we have. Because the life-giving what? Truth of the gospel. There's a lot of religions. There's a lot of you know, different ways that people say, hey, this way you'll find peace. But the truth of the gospel was presented to them in verse 5 and verse 6, which has also come to you as it has in the rest of the world. And Paul says of this truth, which you heard, which you heard. Truth isn't, uh, or truth that isn't proclaimed and presented can't be heard, right? Has to be, has to be spoken. And unless people hear the hope of the gospel, then they remain in a hopeless state. It is the calling of the church that Jesus has established here on this earth to bring truth to a world that is believing in things disguised as truth, but are just the ideas and the philosophies of men. They're not truth at all. Romans 10.15 says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. As we discussed in the opening background of Colossae, in the letter to the Colossians, we don't know for certain who first brought the gospel to them. We don't, we don't know how it first got there. Likely it was Epaphras, returning from Colossae, from Ephesus, or being sent from Ephesus, or perhaps someone else in the church of Ephesus, or one of the churches that were planted there in Asia. But we know that someone proposed, hey, let's go there and preach the gospel of hope to those people. Understand, if you've been around any time and you've studied history, or certainly even in your own lifetime, uh, those of you that have some seasoning in your life, right? Times will change, won't they? Societies will change. Cultures have changed. Cities have changed. Countries have changed. Architecture has changed. Languages have changed. Technology has changed. Seems like every week, right? Communication has changed. Music has changed. Fashion and styles have changed. Some of you haven't caught up with that. But anyways, uh, foods have changed. Transportation has changed. Medicine and health care have changed. Now, I say that because I've talked to some of you guys have told me, I'm not, I don't care about that. I'm just... Well, you know, you have your place in the world, right? You know, you don't go with those changes. But one thing that has not changed one single bit, what is still the exact same right now in 2018 as it was 2,000 years ago, is the gospel. Amen. Hasn't changed. And Jesus' command to, for the church to go is also still the same. That hasn't changed either. People still need the Lord, don't they? People still need Jesus. People still need the truth. They need the whole truth. They need the gospel truth. A newborn baby needs oxygen even if it has no concept of oxygen. True? 
doesn't know about the elements, can't, can't even talk, has no idea that it needs oxygen, but yet it does. A soul needs the gospel even if it has no concept of the construct of the gospel. Amen? Just like a newborn baby, doesn't matter because someone say, well, I've seen a lot of people and they don't look like they need the gospel to me. God created both soul and the gospel. Think about this. I know sometimes the elementary thoughts are really the profound. Think about it. God created souls and God created the gospel. Which one needs the other? Well, actually, the gospel doesn't need souls, but the soul does need the gospel. People still need to hear about the condition of sin. They still need to hear the word sin. They need to understand there is a reality of hell. There is an afterlife. And there is the hope of heaven. Sin's real. Hell's real. But heaven is also real. It will still take prayer and lots and lots and lots of prayer and commitment and surrender and intentionality, all with the help of the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the world and for that matter, right across the street, right? It takes prayer. God has to open those doors. God has to uh, make sure that our divine appointments actually work. There's openings, but still the boldness and everything else it takes comes through prayer, standing on this truth. It takes feet shod with the gospel, ready at any time to share. And who does Jesus task with this job? Not just the Colossians, us, the Chesterfieldians, right? That wasn't in my notes. It just was, just came. It was, maybe we'll start calling ourselves that. You know, you start thinking like an epistle when you start studying epistles, right? Never call them Chesterfieldians, you know, Colossians. Let's be honest. It's not easy to share the gospel, is it? It's not easy. Jesus didn't say it was easy. I never saw that. He never said, this will be the easiest task you're ever going to get. You will find nowhere in his teaching where he said it was easy. He said, take up your cross. It's going to be difficult to share the gospel. We know what to do, but we still struggle to do it. We know what to do, but we still struggle to actually do it. We still struggle to have the compassion. We still struggle to have the boldness, the power, the right words to say. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it only comes by abiding with the Lord in prayer and His Word. Abiding, abiding, abiding. And then He'll root out all the other things that are the inhibitors and the roadblocks to spiritual success. And even then, even when we get the gumption, we might say in our minds, and it'll happen, you'll say in your mind, but everyone looks so happy. People look like they're enjoying life. I can't ruin it by inviting them to church. Or asking them, do they know the Lord? Have they ever had their sins forgiven? Or many other ways. Or maybe you think, well, they've probably already heard the gospel. That's true. They might have. I had heard the gospel many times before I finally got saved. And the girl cutting my hair, who I won't meet till heaven, and invited me to church and said I could get fired for this. I know that God sent her my way or sent me there. Now, those are all the lies of Satan to tell our flesh that they don't need it, and they probably heard it, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. That's our flesh. Satan lies to our flesh, and we lie to ourselves. But we must present the gospel 
Because Jesus said to. If that was the only reason, then we're to go and do it. His care becomes our care. His commands become our marching orders. And as we're walking in truth and presenting it by the work and the help of the Holy Spirit, we can be confident, we can be confident that the Lord will bless our efforts. Doesn't mean that every time everyone's going to say, hey, that's exactly what I was hoping you would say. That doesn't always work that way. But we'll be surprised that some people were ready. Truth presented. Let's look at what happens or what we desire for it to happen. And what did happen in Colossae, truth received. Somebody had to go. Somebody had to plant the church. Somebody had to speak the truth. And But people's ears can either do one of two things. Jesus would always stand up and say, he who has an ear, let him what? Hear. Jesus would say, those were, that's where some of Jesus' most common word, he who has an ear, let him hear. He's like, I'm going to speak. This is your opportunity to put your fingers in or leave them out. It's, when Jesus speaks, you're wise to keep your ears open, right? Your heart soft. We're called to take and present the truth of the gospel, but we can never convince a person that it's true. You ever tried to argue with someone about the faith? You ever tried to get out every knowledgeable fact you have and they're still not convinced? And they finally say something like this. Well, how do we even know the Bible's real? How do we even know it was even written? Like, it's something like, well, we were looking at it right here, you know, but you can show them all the evidence in the world. And say, well, I, I'm not even sure if it existed 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago or all these things. We're called to take the gospel, but we really cannot convince people that it's true, and we can't convince them to accept it. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that should take a lot of pressure off us. It should. We still keep pressure on ourselves. One of the bad things about humans is we put pressure on ourselves that God didn't tell us to put on ourselves. I'm really guilty of this. I put all kinds of pressure on myself. Lord, I didn't, I didn't tell you to carry that. You're not there to convince people. You're there to present. How they receive it is, is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit, and God gives people what we call a free will choice. A free will choice to either accept or reject what they hear. Each person has that opportunity. God had prepared the heart. You remember in Acts uh, chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. Here he is, he's headed back to Ethiopia. And if you ever have in your mindset that this one dude in a chariot, that's probably not the scene. It was probably a large caravan. He was a, a high-ranking official. So if you've ever seen high-ranking officials travel, they have an entourage, right? They don't travel. But. So here he is rolling back to Ethiopia, probably a large caravan, not just one, one guy in a chariot, but probably many people, probably quite a few. Nevertheless, Philip comes up to him, and then uh, when Philip gets up beside him, and it was kind of supernatural how God brings Philip up there beside him, Right past everybody. Hey, how did this guy get in here? You know, we, have an, we have soldiers and all this stuff. How in the world is he right there by our main guy? It says, then Philip did what? Opened his mouth. That's the exact words. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scriptures, preached Jesus to him. Verse 37, Philip used these words. He says, if you believe. Philip didn't say, because I've said it, I know you will believe. He said, if you believe. Philip opened his mouth and preached what? Jesus, which is the gospel. Philip did his part to open his mouth and to share, but the Ethiopian official had to believe and receive. 
Philip couldn't do that for him. But when it's received, not only is it glorious, but get this, and you know this in your own Christian life, it's just the beginning. When it's received, it's only the beginning. Yes, I know we all have heaven that we're looking forward to, and the hope of heaven is mentioned right here in verse 5. That hope of heaven is certainly, that, 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 that keeps us going on some difficult days, doesn't it? Like, well, at least this isn't my home, right? You ever stayed at a hotel, you're like, I'm glad this isn't my home? My wife and I, when we were dirt poor getting out of college, I'll never forget, we found this place. It had to be like, we thought it was a great deal, 38 a night or something like that. That was the worst decision overnight. I would have been better off in a tent on the side of the road than that hotel. Um, I felt the accommodations were better in both third world countries we went to than, than that hotel. But, you know, we were kind of dumb and didn't know any better, but we knew that that was not our permanent dwelling place, and we were glad to get out of there as bright and early as possible. It, Earth is like that, but worse, isn't it? This isn't our home. And now we have a hope of heaven that's the, the future there, know where we're headed. That's the beginning of what God is doing in us. He says, you know, a lot of us get saved because we want the hope of heaven, but God has some work for us to do before we can go. And Paul said um, to those in Colossians, because they had believed by faith, uh, yes, you have these eternal hope in heaven, but there's things God wants to do in you and will be doing in you now. You've received this truth, but there's things that the Lord wants to do. When we're born and until, unless we receive Christ, our destination is judgment and hell. Everyone's born. That, that's where we're headed unless we receive Christ. Without the gospel, any mention of hope or what people might think of as hope is just a wish or it is counting on chance, right? There's really not chance, but I'm saying people think that way. There's not, no such thing as chance. And there's no such thing as just a wish in, in the sense that uh, you can wish I'm, well, I wish I end up over in this place in the afterlife. That's just that's a thought, but it, there's no there's no concrete fact to that. It's just human mind spinning around. But the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven for the believer, it isn't a wish. It's not an unknown, but it's a guarantee, isn't it? It's a guarantee. It's like the knowledge. Yesterday morning it was raining all morning, right? Did you have any doubt while it was raining that the sun still exists? You couldn't see it, right? It was raining all morning. You got up and it was raining like 6 a.m. All of a sudden cleared up and it was a beautiful day after that. But when we got up, it was raining. Did you have any doubt? I bet the sun doesn't exist anymore because I don't see it. It's gone. <laughs> Out of here. No. We have the knowledge that the sun's still there even when we can't see it. See, hope is a sure thing. Hope says, I know whom I believed in. He's going to take me there. Paul says, you guys have this hope. You have this hope of heaven, and that hope of heaven is what keeps you grounded right now and continuing to go forward. Because sometimes earth is the farthest thing from heaven. It's like a desert. But yet you still have this joyful expecting that even as you get up in years, you say, all right, this world's fading, but I know the next one to come. I'll never have to have a migraine again. I'll never have to you know, get the flu again. I'll never have to change a tire on the side of the road. 
or a diaper or anything else, right? Maybe some of you think that's fun. I didn't when our kids were young, but uh, that's why they never volunteered me for nursery after I got saved. But anyway, Paul mentions that those in Colossae have come to know the grace of God. Look at verse 6, which has come to you. To know the grace of God, very end of the verse, since the day you heard it, and know the grace of God in truth. They've come to know the grace of God. Now, grace isn't something you can see with the physical eyes. I can't see grace like I can see this keyboard here. But it's definitely something we can experience, isn't it? It's definitely something we can grasp in our spirit. And once we've been welcomed into the family of God, we taste grace in so many places and ways that we never did before. It wasn't possible to taste grace. It's a spiritual flavor. You, you, can, you can give someone grape and you can give them chocolate, and you give, but you can't give them the taste of grace until they've tasted salvation. And then you start to taste it in all these other ways. You say, wow, my marriage is grace. Then you start to look more favorably at the fact that you even are married. You start to look and say, well, my job is actually grace. I used to complain about it, and now I look, it's God's grace. You've come to know grace. When you understand a verse, say, wow, I used to not understand that verse. That's grace. God's grace, manifold grace. Start praying for God's grace to accomplish new things and new victories in your life. Everything that you and I need is by grace, not by your works, not by your raw intelligence, not by our abilities. It's always by grace. Now, with that grace, God gives us grace. He wants us to cultivate our walk with him. And it's the last thing we're looking at this evening. I told you it's abbreviated, but I told you you'll get your money's worth so far. Truth presented, truth received, truth cultivated. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, a man can't always be defending truth. There must be a time he feeds on it. Did you catch that? A man can't always, or a woman, be defending truth. There must be a time that he feeds on it. You might say, well, I don't go around defending truth. Well, if you start sharing the gospel, you will, but <laughs> you'll defend it more than, than you expected to. But it's not just the defense of apologetics that we're talking about here, defending the truth, uh, you know, maybe teaching in your own home, uh, teaching your own kids, the defense of the truth is to present it as well as, as, well as uh, give a reasonable explanation when people say, well, I don't understand this or I don't understand that. But, you know, we're not told to just talk about the Word. We're let the Word come deep within us and feed on it. And that's sometimes where God is saying He caused us to lie down, right? To be still and meditate on the Scriptures. And by the way, when you do that, you're much more effective when you go out to present them. If you fed on the Word, then you have something to give. If you haven't fed on the Word, then you have nothing to defend anyway. That's called discipleship, right? And that's what was taking place. This is what Paul is actually, he's giving them a commendation to say, hey, in spite of some of the things that I'm going to have to address, in spite of some of the things that are not going so well in Colossae, there is a remnant there, 
and they've been discipled. They not only have heard the truth, but they received the truth, and now they've been cultivated, and they've been cultivating the truth in their own lives. And Paul says that's a good thing. That's a fruitful thing. As he says here, which is bringing forth fruit in verse 6. He also says in verse 7, as you've also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Now, if you're here for our background when we opened up this first chapter, you know that Epaphras took a long journey to get there, and there were some things that were happening that were troubling him. Now, no matter how, much, no matter how Epaphras felt about Epaphras, you ever feel not so good about you? You ever look in the mirror and say, What is up with you, right? <laughs> right? We're our biggest problem, right? But no matter how Epaphras felt about Epaphras, Paul, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, affirms this man as dear to him. Paul says, I love you. You mean a lot to me. He also refers to him as a peer servant in ministry. He says, our dear fellow servant. Paul's an apostle. Way up there, right? There's only 12 of them. Paul says, our dear fellow servant, a peer. He says, a faithful minister. Paul says, he's a faithful pastor. You can say a perfect pastor. If you find one, tell me. You won't, right? He said, a faithful pastor pastor, and one who rightly represented Christ, because he says a faithful minister of Christ, of Christ. He says, this guy rightly reflects the Lord, not in perfection, but in his spirit. This is what Paul was, now remember, Paul is writing back to the church that Epaphras came from. So he's away, this letter's coming to them. Matter of fact, he's going to stay with Paul when the letter goes back. Epaphras like, hey, I like what you're writing there. Hey, can you put this in too while you're at it? No. Paul didn't consult him. He just told his scribes, start writing. Additionally, Paul confirmed that the Colossians have learned from the ministry and service of Epaphras in spite of these false doctrines that are slipping in, and they were. Some of these false, you know, these wolves in sheep's clothing have crept in. Paul, Paul says, in spite of all that, the Colossians have a remnant that is growing, that is maturing. Now, lastly here, Paul confirms that regardless of what's going on, Epaphras also speaks of the church in a loving and respectful manner. Look what he says in verse uh, 8. Who declared to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras is not the kind of guy, uh, someone with spiritual integrity is not the kind of guy who says, you know, I'm going to throw them under the bus. He doesn't do that. Paul says, he came and said, you guys, he said good things about the church, good things about the love within the church. Yes, he told Paul, here's some things that are coming in, but he's not speaking bad of the totality, if you will, right? So here's what's going on, but, but God's really done a great work in the people in Colossae. They've, they've come a long way. They've got a ways to go, just like us, right? I always say we've come a long way and we've got a long ways to go. We have come a long way. We can look at that and say that's something to be thankful for. No matter what, Epaphras doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't speak negatively about the people 
but he is concerned about some of the things that have slipped in. Now, he's made this long journey from Colossae to Rome, which only underscores his deep concern about the challenges and the voices that had come in that are leading people astray, and so that is a big deal. That is something that's of a great concern. It's a concern to Pavitz, it's a concern to Paul. And perhaps because of that, Epaphras may have felt like a failure in some ways. How did this happen? How did, how did some of these things get in? We were teaching, we were cultivating, we were presenting. Epaphras may have felt, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? That he could have done more. You ever feel like you could have done more? Could have done more. Could have done that differently. Should have done that differently. Maybe I should have used a different approach. You ever feel that way? Of course, we all do. Perhaps you are feeling that right now about something. That's where grace comes in, amen? And God never said he was sending perfect people to do this job anyway. Aren't you glad there are people that are always there that would encourage you and still see fruit in your life? That's Paul. That's Paul to Epaphras. That's Paul to the church there. He says, I see fruit there. We need to be those people for each other. Amen? We need to be those encouraging each other. Say, no, no. You, you'll, you'll get people to go forward in the faith way more encouraging them saying, I found everything wrong in you. You want the list? They can give you a list back, by the way. <laughs> Who can play that game? But it doesn't help either side. We need to be those people praying for each other but encouraging one another. And Paul reminds Epaphras and the Colossians, hey, fruit is still budding. Fruit is still budding. And he says to this man, Epaphras, he's been faithful to Christ. You guys, he's done a good job. There's some false guys coming. How'd that happen? Let God figure it out. Remember, Jesus told the apostles, don't even pull up the chaff with the wheat because you might pull up the wheat. He told the apostles it was going to happen. It's going to happen in any ministry. There was going to be times where something would slip in and there's nothing you could do. It wasn't that you did it wrong. Some things God allows. Sometimes it's a testing. But no matter how Paul felt, no matter how Epaphras felt, good, bad, or indifferent, it wasn't indifferent, but good, bad, or other maybe, the fact that faithful men we're still praying there in Colossae. The fact that faithful men were still leading, the fact that the word was still being taught, and that a group of believers, staying, believers were staying committed and staying in the word and applying the word of God, and they were still remembering the hope of their salvation, which Paul references, and they were still encouraging one another, this means fruit is still blossoming, Right? Sometimes there's not as much fruit on a tree as we want, but it's still there. And even where some may have been straying and falling away, and, and that was clearly the case, that some were straying, some were falling away, the fruit that God, or the seeds that God had planted, God was also watering. Isn't that great to know? Whether you're someone who's an apostle, and there's not been many, a pastor, or any role 
or any person in the church, any, because there's no hierarchy of importance in the body of Christ. There's roles. But no matter who you are in the body of Christ, appreciate the good fruit. Encourage that. Speak well of that. Remind people of the hope I have. Remind, you know, someone's down, <clears throat> say, no, yeah, I, God's used you over here. You know, don't make stuff up, by the way. I mean, it has to be real. <clears throat> it has to be real fruit, but, but look for it and encourage it. Um, it's easy for us to focus on all the things that are not going well. That's not how Paul starts the letter, right? It's easy for us to focus on, well, this could be better and this should be better. And Paul's like, look, I'm thankful for what God has planted. Because if we can get the planted part to flourish even more, it will drown out the other. Right? If you've got junk in a glass, you just keep letting good water flow in and all that stuff's coming out, right? Amen. And that's what Paul is saying. Focus on what the Lord is doing has done and will continue to do, and the rest God will take care of. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time again in your word. We ask, Lord, that um, you would just cultivate the good fruit that you've already begun in us. Lord, we thank you for the hope of heaven, but we also ask, Lord, that you would help us to continue to grow in your grace in every aspect of our life. Bless uh, these, your people, as we leave and those that are staying. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.